0: Hello and welcome to the OS Training Podcast. I'm Steve Burge and this is episode thirty-four. You can find previous episodes at OS Training.com podcast. We talk with interesting people from across the open source world. And in this episode, I'm talking with Randy Fay. He has been a longtime member of the Drupal community. And he's written, I think, at a conservative estimate, I'd say about 1,001 modules. He's worked with a whole bunch of leading Drupal companies. And after a while, he got burned out from his excessive commitment to Drupal. So we talk about some of his crazier adventures, such as cycling from the northern tip of Canada, All the way down to Argentina over the course of several years. We talk about his involvement in Drupal and why he left in the end. And then we get to the meat of the conversation, which is his work now with a project called DDEV Local. Recently, we released a book at our training all about DDEV Local and how it can give you a much more modern development environment based on Docker containers. We talk with Randy, who's the lead developer for DDEV, and explain why, if you're using MAMP or WAMP, you should consider using DDEV instead, as it'll greatly speed up your development and make it much more reliable if you're working on multiple projects. Hey, and welcome, Randy.
1: Good to see you, Steve, or talk to you anyway, huh?
0: Randy, you are joining us from Colorado. You're up in the mountains near Aspen, near all the ski areas there?
1: Not exactly. We're in in a little town called Palisade, right near Grand Junction, which is on the very western edge of Colorado, and it's more like Utah desert than it is like the mountains, although we have uh, the Grand Mesa towering right out of my window. I'm looking at it right now, which is a 10,000-foot mountain, but we're only at 4,600 or something like that.
0: Oh, okay, so you're close enough to see the mountains, and you can go skiing on the weekends, but you're not, not actually in the mountains yourself? That's,
1: that's the case, yep.
0: So are you Colorado born and bred?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I actually was born in Grand Junction, which is 10 miles from here. Uh, grew up in a little town called Gunnison, and uh, we came back here after our big uh, bike trip that we took for like two and a half years we came back here because my parents were getting old, and uh, my mom's still alive. She's 92, and one of our big deals about being here is to take care of her. She lives in an assisted living, but we see her a couple of times a day, and so it's a it's a delight to be here. Uh, you know, to be able to be close to family and do what we'd like to do with family.
0: Well, you seem to have left the one of the leads in that in that introduction hanging. You took a two and a half year bike trip.
1: Oh, yeah, Yeah, we did. Actually, that was the trip of a lifetime. From uh, 2006 to 2009, my wife Nancy and I started above the Arctic Circle, near the Arctic Ocean, in a little town called Inuvik, up in the Northwest Territories in Canada. And we rode our bikes over a course of two and a half years through the Americas and down to northern Argentina before we ran out of steam. And, uh, ended up not, we, we wanted to get to the very bottom. We didn't make it to the very bottom, but we, wow, did we have a trip of a lifetime on our bikes?
0: So is this one of those things where you have to try and start in the, the middle of the Canadian summer? So you avoid getting
1: slowed in. Basically we started, uh, June 9th and it was actually a little more complex, complex than that. Um, you actually have to cross a couple of rivers on the, in the first stretch there and those rivers in the winter time, you can go over them on, I think it's an ice bridge. And in the summertime, you can go over them on a ferry. But in the in-between time, when the rivers are breaking up, you can't get across them anyway, period. So we had to time it so that we got out early enough that we would be able to make the seasons work, but late enough that we wouldn't hit the ice breakup. Then we'd be able to cross on the ferries. And we did come out lucky.
0: Okay, so for anyone else who's thinking about cycling from the northern tip of Canada to the south of Argentina, then they need to know there's a very narrow window they can launch in.
1: (laughs) Well, maybe if they ride faster than we do, then they can start later and not have that problem. But we rode pretty slow, as you can imagine, taking two and a half years. We did volunteering. We did a lot. I mean, it was a trip of a lifetime. It was an amazing opportunity. And one of the amazing things is all that time we rode in Latin America, you know, we never felt that anybody threatened us at all. We never felt uncomfortable. The biggest risk was getting run over by a vehicle, which is the same as cyclists have everywhere. You know, it just tells you a whole lot about our fears and what we consume. I mean, there's a, there's a side element to it. Sure, we were then we were middle-aged. Now we're probably not anymore, you know, but a middle-aged couple on bikes aren't a threat to anybody. But still, if you can spend that long going through such exotic places and not even feel like anybody was out to harm you, then it, it just gives some perspective on the world. It's not maybe as bad as sometimes we think it is.
0: It used to be a more common thing to do. I seem to remember reading stories of quite a few people back in the 60s that would get, say, a, a Volkswagen van and do the America to South America drive, or perhaps a bike ride. It was not a completely unusual thing to do at one point.
1: Well, lots of people do it on bikes every year. Because you can think about it as a thing, it's a goal. You know, it's not more important to ride the Americas or to ride from tip to tip than some other ride. But you can just think, you know, when you take on a project like riding from the north to the south it's a way to think about a project and it's very motivating and lots of people do it people do it every year lots of people do it every year i'll bet you that 20 or 30 or even more do it every year
0: so practically you go down you get through the snows of canada the u.s i presume is fairly straightforward apart from perhaps the highways being a bit too busy what happens when you get to say the the panama canal and isn't there like an enormous jungle there? and are there, When you get to South America, do you have to take an enormous detour around the Amazon?
1: So what we did was in the U.S., we came down the West Coast because that's a famous ride. In Mexico, we went into Mexico south of Tucson, and we rode down the inside of the water there. We didn't go down Baja. There's lots of cyclists that do go down Baja, but we didn't want to go that way. And then we went into the very center of Mexico and rode down through the heart of Mexico, down to Mexico city, and then up and over the Paso de Cortes, the pass between the two volcanoes that Cortez came through to conquer Mexico. And then we rode down to Oaxaca. When you get to Panama, there isn't actual way to bike or get through the Darien Gap any way you want to pull it off. We took a sailboat, a hundred foot sailboat, from south of Balboa to Cartagena in Colombia. And then in South America, we rode down through the Andes. We were afraid of malaria and all the diseases that are more prevalent in the low country. And so we wanted to stay high. And so we basically wore ourselves out in the mountains of the Andes.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, that sounds like an enormous amount of work to cycle through the Andes. <laughs> yeah,
1: there's a lot up and down there, and you get really high. And uh, the elevation in Peru really bothered Nancy. And I think that was, uh, I mean, I, I still, I'm sure we could have gone faster by taking the coastal routes. I'm still very, very glad that we went high, but there's no question that the altitude took a toll on Nancy, and uh, there's, there's no question that it is... Hard to be doing all that up and down and, and remote stuff, and we did some very interesting stuff in Peru. I mean Peru is a great those countries are just amazing you just they are they're lovely
0: well geographically it's probably similar to some parts of Colorado, very mountainous, on average very high, very dry in a lot of parts
1: yes yeah, steeper, steeper and higher i mean we we went over a pass. We went over a pass that was 15,000 feet high. And anyway, there, there's many ways to do it. And uh, many people have done much more exotic things than we did, but it was certainly a trip of a lifetime for us.
0: So you're from Colorado. You've taken at least one crazy trip like this. How did you end <laughs> up getting involved in the Drupal community, which is perhaps what you're at the moment what you're best known for in, to our listeners?
1: Well, the the real thing that uh, I had worked with Drupal a bit before our trip, but I actually re-implemented our blog, HoboBiker.com, in Drupal at that point when we were, it might have been a couple of years before that, but we worked really hard at our blog on that trip because we wanted to record it. And so... It probably started out as a Drupal 4.6 blog, and it—I don't know what level it was at. I was probably in Panama turning it into a 5.0 or something. That personal experience with making a blog go, and the Drupal technology and everything else. By the time we got done with the trip, and really we were kind of mentally exhausted by the time we got to northern Argentina. I wanted to do something that used my mind instead of just my body traveling all the time. And I thought, well, I'll bet you that I could learn something about open source and actually get involved in the Drupal community. And uh, we actually bought a little laptop in that, in like one of those first cities in Argentina, bought like a, a netbook that we could carry that was, uh, it was a fair bit of money. But I actually started doing... Consulting in Argentina in November of 2008, during the height of the financial crisis. As you can imagine, a couple of middle aged people who've taken a couple of years off of their job, hearing from northern Argentina that the entire financial system is melting down and wondering, and of course, seeing our savings go, you know, like everybody else did, very painful experience but i got to i just started bottom feeding there was a forum on drupal.org and i would just tell the people that were posting the most naive problems there you know with how they had destroyed or whatever they'd done to their site i'd say well i'll do that for you and if you like it then pay me and if you don't then that's fine And i got some of those jobs so we're sitting there Stopping for a couple of days and working on something, and you gradually get some jobs that are a little better. But it was it was an amazing thing to have people paying me by PayPal during a complete financial meltdown when we're on our bikes in Argentina. It was uh, it was it was quite something. And then of course, after we got done, and we got back in mid 2009, the whole idea of trying to figure out what open source was, what it meant to try to make a contribution you know, in the open source world and to figure out how to communicate and to get, you know, to get involved in the Drupal world. It's not, it's a lot, I mean, figuring out the community is a lot more difficult than writing code.
0: <laughs> so you come from a background which, even before you found Drupal, was fairly community focused. You said you volunteered a lot when you were on your bike ride. And so was the open source attitude uh, a natural fit for you?
1: Yeah, it really was. But I had never previously figured out how one actually can make a difference in open source, right? I mean, i would used Linux for a couple of decades already. You know, I'd, I'd used so many things and I was aware of the value of all these open source communities, but I had never actually tried to, or I don't remember ever trying to actually make a difference in one you know i'd probably filed an issue in a project or two and i'd probably learned something from studying the issues in a project or two but i'd never actually tried to say well what could i do that would make a difference
0: so you've always been around the open source mindset you've been a long-term linux user but it wasn't until you came back from that bike trip that you really started to dive in and take part in the Drupal community
1: Right, that was the deal. It was like, how could I actually do something useful and in the open source community? Could I get invested and involved? And and so that was the question. And it's not a very easy thing to do. It takes, a, you know, you try to figure out, well, what do you work on? How do you work on it? Uh, how do you get the right people to pay attention? I remember, like my first core patch, I think. I had no idea how to get anybody to pay attention to it. It was a problem that I had had to solve for some project that I was working on, probably some contracting project. And I discovered a problem with how CSS is aggregated. And I was able to figure out how to solve the problem. And so I was able to figure out how to make a patch, but I didn't know how you get anybody to pay attention to your patch. And I didn't know how to, you know, what do you do then? So just learning through that whole process, how you communicate, I had to learn how to use IRC. More than how to use IRC, though, is how do you find the person that you need to talk to in IRC and get them to, you know, busy people to pay attention.
0: That's always one of the the major knocks on open source communities is that they tend to favor people with large amounts of time on their hands, either because their company is generous or because they're retired, well, for whatever reason, they have lots of free time, that the actual time commitment to figure all these things out is a major barrier to contribution. So you dived really deep down the Drupal rabbit hole, right? You, I look at your profile on drupal.org. You contributed to, uh, I'm just guesstimating here, but... About a thousand and one different modules, and you worked for like a whole bunch of the different brand name agencies in the Drupal world, from Lullabot to TagOne. You worked for Drupal Commerce for a while as well. You were really deep inside Drupal for quite some time.
1: I really was, and I kept trying to be deeply involved with fundamental things. I got involved in core development, and I maintained some modules and. You know, I I really, I liked all that, but I I found myself, uh, like lots of people in open source, like in Drupal community, trying to solve every problem. And you can get so scattered thinking that you can solve every problem or that you can put a patch up for every bug that you encounter, which I think I was trying to do at one point. It pretty well used me up over time. At some point, I started to figure out, well, hey, you know, I think this might be what burnout is. And uh, I actually started studying burnout. And I wrote a series on burnout and what it was, maybe not even fully realizing that I was uh, in the process of burning out myself.
0: <laughs> um, uh, there was a, a period, maybe three years ago, when if you went to Drupal Cons or Drupal Camps, there was regularly a session on burnout. I think it was probably towards... The release of Drupal 8, when everyone was getting tired and frustrated, it had taken five plus years. I saw some of your blog posts at the time. Were you also presenting and trying to talk to the community about the dangers of getting burned out?
1: Yeah. And, you know, people need to know that their life is more important than the project they're working on. And, you know, that's kind of the fundamental thing and trying to adjust priorities to recognize that. And also to realize that you can't solve every problem. And I think that that was probably the fundamental thing for me was I was able to see problems. I was able to, I was able to solve them, right? If you give me one problem, I was probably able to solve it. But the complex nature of how you actually solve a problem in Drupal stymied me and the fact that I was trying to do everything stymied me, you know, but one of the, areas that i started to realize as i studied burnout was i started finding that especially when you talk about core the process of trying to solve a problem in drupal core or in the drupal community is actually so i don't know it's so entrenched or so difficult and it's improved since then but back in the day Essentially, you had if you wanted to make a significant thing happen in Drupal, you had to convince, let's say, five or six key people that you had the right idea of what to do. And if one person said, well, I don't like that, that was it. That was it. It was over. You could have one blocker who was, you know, who was valued and you had no way to go forward. Now, there's been significant reorganization in the intervening years, and there's been a little bit of uh, better distribution of authority. So it's better than it was, but that was a major thing. And that led me to studying governance in open source communities and how governance worked and how we work with a benevolent dictator, the Drupal way, and many open source communities have that. And I ended up studying that for a time and speaking a couple of times and writing some blog posts on how open source communities govern themselves. And that process of trying to improve governance has been going on in the intervening years, even though I I ran out of patience for it. But it's been carried on by some very good people.
0: Well, it's a fascinating time to hear you talk about it because the WordPress community is going through something very similar at the moment. They've just done the the Gutenberg release. And I often compare the release of Gutenberg to the release of Drupal 8 in that not only did it take longer than expected, but it was also far more dramatic and badly organized and full of arguments and all the typical open source stuff. And you've seen some similar results in the WordPress community, a lot of people talking about burnout and also a lot of people starting to talk about governance as well, because a lot of the, the way that Gutenberg was organized was... On matts I was going to say whim, but that's probably not a fair way to say it. But it became very clear at a certain point in the Gutenberg release schedule that it was Matt's way or the highway. And so people have started to take a step back and say WordPress needs a whole better way of governing itself rather than a benevolent dictator for life deciding everything. It reminds me a lot of that time when Drupal 8 was stuck and not getting ready when people wanted it. So you spent all this time researching governance open source projects. Did you have a positive effect in the end with the blogging and the the discussions you had around it? Well, I think
1: it. I think it started a conversation. I mean, it started a conversation. It got dreasier. He started making a focus on it. I was at the end of my patience for it, and other people have done a good job carrying it forward. I mean, like almost everything else in the Drupal world, it's been a lot of years and. It would have been nice if it had been solved, in, you know, if, it, if, if massive progress had been made in one year or something like that. But that's not, I mean, just the fact that there's been an energy applied is really great. You know, on governance, I want to mention that uh, Python is going through a massive reorganization because they lost their BDFL. They've been a benevolent dictator for life. He said, I'm done. And now they're going through amazing stretches trying to reorganize without him
0: i didn't see that story so yeah yeah he quit in a huff or he left in an organized way i don't know whether there was a huff
1: but he announced on july 12th last year that he was going on permanent vacation like the next day yeah uh, yeah i think so i haven't followed it that closely but it is a it is a uh it's a major thing to watch for any community that relies on a single head like that because, you know, benevolent dictators never last forever. And finding a, a path to a sustainable organization is, is critical in general. Well, and the reality is that any organization needs more than a dictator, right? It's just you have to have a spread of effective governance in general.
0: Yeah, we can make fun of open source projects and say this is uh, unique to open source, but really it's not. Everyone that works in large companies has similar stories, or works in nonprofits, or works in schools. They all have the same mix of politics and bad government. And,
1: well, you could um, look at uh, you could look thing. at uh, the U.S. or U.K. government right now and have <laughs> some lessons there as well. Uh, there's some serious problems with governance.
0: <laughs> yeah just before getting on the podcast i was had one eye on the uh the brexit vote and um oh man yeah, yeah open source is easy in comparison
1: yeah that's right that's right and less consequential probably
0: so you burned out to some extent what did you do next when you left the Drupal community when you stepped aside you turned your attention towards ddev
1: no that's actually there's a few years in between there i did a few things in between but i had two or three years of very happy time working for Tag1 on the infrastructure side. So I was working with, I did infrastructure and I did some Drupal 8 development work for them. But I had a very nice time on a number of projects with Tag1 that weren't like direct Drupal things. And so they got me back into my roots in the Linux world. I was building up uh, full uh, development test environments with Puppet and Had a had a very nice time with that, and so that was a two or three years, and then I was looking for some work because Tag One was running out of work for me, and I was getting kind of I tend to I like projects. Projects motivate me; Uh, they just help me quite a lot to uh, I don't know think about my life. I just like project work quite a lot, so I started panicking. Well, wait a minute, what do I do? I don't know how to just entertain myself all day. I need a project, and I tweeted that I was looking for some something. And uh, Kevin Bridges at Drud replied right away, he says, well, do you like Go? And I said, well, I don't know anything about Go. I don't even know what it looks like. And <laughs> so I ended up going to work for him, uh, working in Go. And DDEV was one of the projects that I ended up working on. And uh, we also have a, a hosting product. And I worked on that. So the first year I worked on both uh, DDev, the local development environment, and the hosting project. But for the last year and a half, they've been kind enough to support me. I'm an employee. They've been kind enough to make it so that I could work directly on DDev. Um, so,
0: so let me get these names straight quickly for people listening. So, Drud is the name of the company. That's right. And, and don't ask DDEV where local. it came
1: from because none of us know.
0: <laughs> DDev Local is the name of the local environment. Right for local PHP development environment, and DDEV Live is a hosting platform connected to DDEV Local that may be launching officially later this year, but it's not quite ready yet.
1: Yeah, it has existing customers on it, but it's not like we're inviting people to go to a website and turn up and turn up their site right now. We have some existing customers, but it's still maturing and getting itself going. We're very excited about it. Lots of good stuff happening with it, but it's not you know, it's not publicly available yet.
0: So what's the nuts and bolts pitch that you would give to a developer who's on MAMP or some slightly more old-fashioned local development environment? Why should developers standardize their work on DDEV?
1: Well, the, the great thing that DDEV does, DDEV is Docker-based. You don't have to know that. But basically what it means is that you don't have to actually do any configuration on your machine at all. You just install Docker and you install DDEV, which is just homebrew install if you're on Mac or Linux, and it's got an installer if you're on Windows. And so on all those platforms, you can use DDEV and it will behave the same, but you can have projects that are on any version of PHP, you can have projects that are Nginx or that are Apache. You can have projects that use different versions of MariaDB, and it doesn't matter, and you don't have to do any configuration for it. You just change one word in a config file or use the command line, and and there you go. So I have, I'm doing a, some testing today, and I'm I brought up the Drupal 6 long-term support project, which now supports PHP 7.2, so there I am on Windows 10 Home using Docker Toolbox and able to bring up D6 LTS and test it on PHP 7.2. That's not very easy stuff to do if you're on a one-size-all traditional environment, like you know setting up your own Apache or Nginx or whatever. That said, I love doing all that stuff. But... DDEV makes it so that I don't even have to remember how to do Nginx configuration and I don't have to have just one Nginx setup. And it literally takes most people less than 10 minutes to have DDEV installed and their first project running. And we actually do that at the Drupal cons and the Drupal camps. We have a setup called Quick Sprint that gives people an immediate setup to where they can start. Uh, contributing to Drupal in a few minutes, even if they have never had, even if they come with with a Windows 10 home machine and they've never set up a local environment before, and maybe if they don't know what Drupal is, it just solves a bunch of those big problems with having to know too many things to be able to contribute, which is a big problem everywhere in our world. But it solves some of those problems. We hope it solves some of those problems.
0: So some of the use cases might be perhaps uh, an agency dev who's working on five or six projects for different customers. One is on PHP and Apache, one is on .NET, one is a Node.js project, and each one would have its own container, entirely separate, different configurations, and they could all be running smoothly side-by-side side on the same machine?
1: Yeah, side-by-side, side. or you could have dozens of them, and but... So I typically only keep two or three up at a time, but I might have a whole gob of them laying around. And when in DDEV, when you stop it, when you remove it, it doesn't do any damage. The database is stored, the code is there, and you just do a DDEV start and it comes right back where it was. So you don't even have to have like a, a gazillion resources to use DDEV. You can run one at a time if you don't have that much don't have a lot of resources, and they can all be separately configured. And when you get back to that one that you were working on with that weird client that still had PHP 5.6, well, it just works. You just DDEV start, and there it is.
0: Are some parts of DDEV platform specific? For example, I presume you're pretty heavily into supporting Drupal, perhaps WordPress as well. Are there parts of it that are platform-specific to to those platforms? Or could you easily bring in, say, a Magento site or a Joomla site as well?
1: So that's a great question. Basically, we have explicit support for all versions of Drupal and Backdrop and Typo 03 and WordPress. But that explicit support mostly just means that we... Will write default settings files for them. There are also custom nginx configs like for Drupal and TYPO3. But for the vast majority of any kind of web development, as long as you know how to write your own settings files, or you know, point to the right database or whatever, uh, DDEV will do fine with it. We have people doing a number of different things just using. We have a, an app type that should be probably called generic, but it's called PHP instead. So project type called PHP, where basically it just turns off all of the, oh, I'm going to fix your settings file stuff for you. And so it's really very straightforward to do that.
0: So are there big communities which are using DDEV? Is it big in the Drupal community, big in the WordPress community? Who's actually getting a lot of use out of DDEV at the moment?
1: The biggest ones are Drupal and Typo3. So Drupal Plus Backdrop and Typo3. 3. Typo3 3 has just embraced it with with the whole heart. They have, they have documents in their own docs that say, here's how you do a local environment. You do DDEV. They're very much like that. So Typo3 and the, the larger Drupal community, we have made an effort from the very beginning to support WordPress. And I think we do a good job of supporting WordPress, but we have never made the inroads into the community, I, I think. It's just our our long term connections with the Drupal community that have helped us, and and then some very nice connections introductions that were made into the TYPO3 world. But we do have we do have hopes of of lots of different stuff because it the DDEV environment already supports an enormous amount of flexibility. It's a, it's got a web server, it's got a PHP interpreter, it's got lots of packages got npm built into it and yarn so it's got all that stuff that most people need and it's very much not just a drupal device you know
0: okay so you've done all your local development you've you've spun up say a drupal site or a typo3 site is there any way to actually get it off your machine and into a, a shared environment or a hosting environment is there any way to move it to production
1: so as with most things, your project is developed using, typically it'd be using Git, right? And so pushing the code is an easy problem. We don't currently have a Dev push command. We probably will someday. Most developers don't want a database being pushed to production. Most of the time, what they want to do is pull from production to see if their code is working right and not do database-related development on local machine and then have to take the risk of pushing it to production so i'd say that most developers don't want like a database push capability but i'll bet you we'll end up with one anyway
0: so when it comes to rivals to ddev i know quite a few people are using lando are there any other companies projects that are taking similar approaches to ddev and how do they compare to what you're doing
1: yeah so lando we learned a lot from lando they've done an enormous amount of good work. And we learn, we probably need to go back and check in with it and and relearn some of the good things I do. And people are always asking for the Lando power-off command in DDEV. We should probably ask for their permission to just use power-off as a command. The traditional on-machine techniques are the one competitor I would say. Uh, Lando is the other one that I'm familiar with. There's actually quite a number of of good things, I think, in the WordPress community that are often tied to hosting services. I'm not familiar with a lot of ways. Like I say, my traditional technique was to just configure everything on my own machine.
0: Yeah, there's quite a few options in the WordPress community that are directly sponsored by individual hosting companies, which leads to quite a bit of fragmentation, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I think Pantheon has a service, Flywheel, Flywheel. WP Engine are working on their own service, their own local development integrations. So is there anything super cool that we can expect from DDEV in 2019?
1: You know, I think DDEV Live is our big splash. The hosting project is the big splash. What we want with DDEV Local is we want to help people with what they're needing, with what they're encountering as they go along. So... Our biggest thing is to listen to what the community that's using it is encountering and try to solve their problems and try to figure out ways to improve performance and just to do what they need to do. So it's incremental as DDEV local, and we don't have uh, huge things. Like I say, I would, be, I would be surprised if we don't end up with a DDEV push command, at least to our own hosting this year. But... Ddev local is a fairly mature product, and so our biggest goals are just to help people with it, not to make huge changes with it. You know, so how can you know what are your problems? What are you experiencing? Try to help us to understand it. How can we make it better for you? Those are the kind of things that we want to we want to hear from people, and it doesn't matter whether it's a bug or a feature request or a or just a rethinking of how things are done. We want to hear we want to hear from the community how to do that and we'll do our best to to help them especially if you know especially if there's me too's coming from other people
0: so if someone's listening to this and wants to take dev for a test drive what do they do next
1: uh, just search install dev and you'll land on our docs page and boom there you'll be uh, there's nothing it takes basically no time you install docker for your environment and you install dev and probably take People less than ten minutes to get started with the with a project, and you know what I recommend to people is start with just a plain like a if you're in the Drupal world try start with a plain Drupal tarball download, and you know untar it and do a dev config in it and start it and install it and you know experiment with a thing that has no consequences just experiment with a, just a quick try like that. And you get get a little familiarity and then try it on that really important client project you're working on.
0: So people would head to drud.com to find DDEV local. How about you, Randy? How can people follow what you're working on?
1: So the, in the Drupal pound DDEV channel, we always announce everything there. And in the typo3 pound DDEV channel in Slack. So in Slack, in both of those places, we're always there supporting.
0: So this is the official Drupal Slack
1: yeah, if it is official now. I'm not sure whether it's official, but the official Drupal Slack, the Dev channel. And Typo3, same thing, Dev channel. And I'm Randy Fay on Twitter. And of course, on Twitter, we use the Dev hashtag and the Drud, at Drud is the company. You know, when anything significant happens or when there's a, a bug that somebody's encountered, you know, a, an important bug that somebody's encountered, then I'll tweet it.
0: Wonderful. And you're not planning to get on any- your on your bike again anytime soon
1: no uh, nancy and i did take a we took a two-week trip on vancouver island this year on our mountain bike tandem on uh, mostly dirt paths and roads and we had a great time but we don't have ambitious things on our agenda at this point we were glad we got out there and did uh we we, we have done a number of rides besides the big one but uh nothing on the agenda right now
0: Well, not often you get two and a half years to spare to Uh, take a trip like that. That's right. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us, Randy. And um, I wish you all the best with DDEV Local this year.
1: Thank you so much. It was great talking to you.